This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. You know, one of the best things about being an IMB trustee is the incredible people that I, I get to meet. And, you know, I find myself just coming away from our meetings like I've just been at a revival and just feel spiritually sharpened and just more on fire for, for Jesus and for the gospel. And uh, today our speaker is one of those great people that I've been able to meet. Dr. D. Ray Davis serves on IMB's mobilization team, which means he's sort of about the task of tightening the connection of churches like ours to what God is doing around the world. D-Ray and his wife Kim, uh, who's also here today, served as IMB missionaries in southern Africa from 1992 to 2005, along with their three kids, Paul, Emily, and Trevor. D-Ray has a BA in management from the University of Georgia, master's in missiology from Southwestern, Baptist Theological Seminary, and a doctorate from Columbia International University. And Kim is a freelance writer and author of My Life, His Mission. Uh, she edited uh, Voices of the Faithful, a couple of volumes of that, which many of you I'm sure have seen, and has, has also kind of helped in writing a couple of missionary biographies. So we just want to welcome uh, you guys today and just join me in giving a warm welcome to D-Ray as he comes. Good morning. I have to tell you, that time of worship as I sat there, uh, one phrase resonated as we sang, come behold the wondrous mystery. Um, we get to behold this incredible mystery, but I want to challenge us today to behold, but to go further. And let's do something because of that mystery that we've all learned about. Um, a pastor in Andersonville, Tennessee, called me a couple of years ago, and uh, he asked me if his church of 99 people could begin to raise enough money to send one missionary and to partner with that missionary. And I looked into the records, and they had been giving, on average, 13000 to 18000 over the past 10 years. And uh, to send and support, fully support, all the needs of a family, is about 90,000. So this church was asking me if they could go from 13 to 18,000 up to 90,000 to Lottie Moon and uh, support one missionary. Well, later I met this pastor, Pastor Steve Lakin, and I asked him, I said, "What happened? What caused you to pick up the phone and call me to talk about this?" And uh he uh, shared that one day he was sitting in his office reviewing their church budget, and a lay leader walked by his office and said, hey, pastor, what are you doing? And he said, I'm reviewing our budget. He said, man, we're in really good shape. He said, we've paid off our building, and uh, you pay me, the pastor, and one other staff member, and, uh, and we're in the black, and we even have $270,000 in reserves. The lay leader paused and said, that's awesome, pastor, gave him a thumbs up and said, I can't wait to stand before Jesus and tell him we had 270000 in reserves. So this pastor said to me, I couldn't sleep for three nights. And he said, so I finally picked up the phone and called you, and uh, we talked. And then the next Sunday, he laid out a vision for his church of 99 people to up their Lottie Moon from 13 to 18,000 up to 90,000 
per year. Um, after the service, uh, a couple walked up and said, Pastor, we were going on a, a vacation, but because of your vision, we want to cancel our vacation and add $5,000 to that pot. Another couple walked up and said, you know, we're retired and we have uh, lots of property. We're selling one in Kentucky right now, and we're going to take it and give a percentage equal to 200000 to add. That's 475000 in this pot now. Church of 99 supporting one missionary. Well, after I heard this story, I couldn't help but think of a passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 5. I want you to see this passage with me, and I'm going to read it, and then we're going to see a video of thank yous from the field. Here's the passage. Paul says of, to the Corinthians of the Macedonian church, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints or the, or the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Folks, we need a dose of that kind of grace in our churches. Let me pray, and then I want you to watch this video. Father, I just pray that you would do a work in each of our hearts. Father, we acknowledge that we have beheld this incredible mystery, and it has changed us. And uh, we ask that you would apply that kind of grace to our lives, and you would make us a church like the Macedonian church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. For giving. For giving. Thank you for your giving. To the Lottie Moon offering. Toward Lottie Moon. Thank you for giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. But most importantly, due to your generosity, we've been able to share God's word with those around us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because you gave, I'm able to access remote areas of Central Asia and explain the gospel with people God is already drawing to himself. With your help, we are bringing light to dark places among unreached people groups. Because of what you've given, it allows me to share this gospel with as many Central Asians as I can across London. Your giving allows our organization to provide need for refugees and to give them hope. Thank you for giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering so that we can buy Bibles in Arabic that we use with our Discovery Bible Study with non-believers. Because of your generosity, African women are hearing stories from God's Word while henna is being drawn on their hands and arms. And because of your giving, the life changes that we see through faith in Jesus Christ, that happens because of your gifts. Thank you for giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and helping to provide this wonderful water filter here in Northern Thailand. Your giving allows me to continue with my medical license here in Ghana, where I can not only do surgeries, 
but also the patients have the opportunity to hear the gospel. So thank you. Because of your giving, I'm able to speak to these thousand kids every Wednesday morning. Thank you. Thank you, First Baptist Church. Thank you, Faith Promise Church. Thank you, Faith Baptist Church. Thank you for giving Thank you, and God bless you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for what you have given. That Thank you for what you're going to be prayerfully giving over the next couple of weeks. Um, I want to tie 2 Corinthians 8, this passage on giving, to Matthew 9. Um, before I do, I want to share a little story from the field. One of our personnel named Jenna is a worker in South Asia. She often drives past an intersection uh, in her city that has a huge tree in the middle of it. And under that tree is a group of street beggars. They've actually made this little area their home. They live there on a tiny patch of dry dirt. There is always a few women and there are several children. If you saw them, you would see their clothes are tattered. They're dingy gray from the constant wear. If you watched them, you would see them do several things. They would be begging from cars. Um, they would be scouring for food scraps. They might be picking lice out of each other's hair. They might even be sleeping. This is their life. This is their world. And they're usually oblivious to the noise that circles around them. There's blaring horns. There's cars passing rickshaw. There's bicycles ringing and jingling their bells. Um, Three-wheelers are zooming past. There are pedestrians crossing this intersection and animals literally weaving in and out of traffic. The beggar boys that live there had actually taken uh, in that tree and built a tree swing. And there they would swing. One day when Jenna walked pa uh, drove past, she noticed this, this tree and the little boys swinging. And she noticed that uh, they were malnourished. Their arms and legs were skinny. They actually resembled knobby broomsticks. She thought to herself, their lives are so different from ours. They have no chance for education. They have no future. But there they were, happily swinging, uncaring of the chaos that circles and swirls around them. One time when she passed, she watched and she thought for a moment, and she thought how closely their lives mirror our lives. You see, our lives revolve around our own tiny patch of dry dirt too. We only see what we see around us. We don't see or hear, sometimes don't care about the chaos that swirls around us in a lost world. We're so busy and we don't notice it. We're so uh, unable to see it that we don't even hear the cries sometimes for help by those who are in distress. And so I want to begin with a question. Are you guilty, like I am often guilty, of being focused on your own patch of dry dirt? You see, we, we've been singing this morning about what an incredible mystery we have been given, the grace that we have given, and we've received and experienced salvation, salvation. But Genesis tells us we've been blessed not just to enjoy the blessing, but we've been blessed to be a blessing. Well, Jenna's story reminds me of Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. If you know that passage in, in these verses, Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, 
and proclaiming this gospel of the kingdom. He was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And if you look before at the verses preceding, you'll notice this was a pattern. Jesus was going village after village with his disciples, healing. He was proclaiming the gospel village after village. And it seems as if they've come to the next village. And they pause for just a moment. And Jesus stops and he looks and he sees the multitudes. And he notices that they're distressed and they're downcast. His heart is captured and he feels compassion for them. Now, we don't know what the disciples felt. We don't know what the disciples saw. We could surmise that if they didn't see what Jesus saw, it was because they were focused on their own tiny patch of dirt. They only knew their own issues. They were tired. They'd been going village to village. They were fatigued. They were in a, in a huddle maybe drinking water, taking a break because Jesus stopped. But Jesus' heart is it's captured by the multitudes, and he felt compassion. You see, people really are, uh, they're like sheep, shepherdless, directionless, hopeless, helpless. Jesus, though, turns to his disciples. And so either they didn't see it or they saw it and didn't understand it because he turns to them and he interprets this scene. He rouses them and says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, this is where I know that Jesus was not an American. You see, if he'd been an American, he would have seen this. I mean, here we got disciples, we got the harvest is plentiful, laborers are few. Let's get to work. Let's go do something. Let's get, get busy. But Jesus doesn't drive the disciples into the field. He drives them to their knees. And he says, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. He's kind of like lifting their eyes for a moment and saying, take your eyes off of your own tiny patch of dry dirt and look at the nations. Look at the nations. Jesus is saying several things in this passage as I look through it. Number one, God has given us a purpose. Proclaim the gospel. Two, he's given us his passion, uh, this deep love for people who are in need of salvation. He felt compassion, and he wants to love people through us. Thirdly, God has a plan that he's inviting every single one of us to join. There's a plentiful harvest, but few laborers. But fourthly, he identifies a priority, a priority place of prayer and relationship with him that will then launch us. It's, it's like in, um, uh, in 2 Corinthians, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. So it's that priority relationship. And to go to him and say, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. So number one, Jesus had a purpose. This passage shows us that he was going about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, this is not a, a new thought. This is clear throughout Scripture. Jesus was intent on going and proclaiming. Why? It was his purpose. It's why he came. It's the purpose repeated throughout Scripture. Matthew one twenty one says, For he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 18.11, He has come to save that which was lost. Luke 9.56, He didn't come to destroy men's lives, but 
to save them. Luke 19.10, he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. John 3.17, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And Acts 4, uh, John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came, Jesus said, that they might have life and might have it abundantly. And finally, Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Matthew 9.35, in that passage, Jesus is asking us to lift our eyes off of our own tiny patch of dirt and to join Him in His purpose and go about teaching and proclaiming the gospel. So number one, Jesus had a purpose. But in Matthew 9.36, Jesus had a passion. Seeing those multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. When we first give ourselves to the Lord, like we saw in 2 Corinthians 8, we begin to have and feel compassion for others. Let's be honest. I want to be honest. It doesn't come naturally to always feel compassion for other people. It's not, it's not natural. But Jesus can and will, and he desires to give us compassion for the nations. One of our colleagues, Amy Bowman, a missionary in Zambia at the time, learned that lesson. You see, the electricity, she, she writes about a, a night, a, a morning that she woke up, and the electricity uh, had gone off once again during that night, and she woke up, and her mind was already filled with her to-do list. You mothers know what I'm talking about. She was very busy, had a list for that day, and she honestly says, I didn't need to be bothered with another inconvenience. Well, she tried to be creative and think of something her family could eat for breakfast. You know, without power, preparing a meal can be a task, especially when there are no prepackaged breakfast foods. Well, she finally figured out something that she could serve when they all got up, and she wanted to make sure that she had had some time with the Lord. She says, she admits, I knew I needed it that day. I had not had the best attitude. As she sits down to have her quiet time, there's a knock at the door. And she says, I thought, who could be here this early? And then she admits, and then I thought, and what do they want? Well, her husband, Josh, answered the door to find David, a man who worked for them, asking if he could have a small advance on his salary, about $2.00 equivalent of $2 of his monthly salary to buy some nails to build a coffin for his sister who had died of AIDS the night before. Well, Amy confesses, ashamed at my own petty concerns that morning, I met with my Savior where he once again redirected my heart to be conformed to his, his heart of compassion for the multitudes. She continues, here I was with my mind already consumed with what I needed to do that day and not focused on what Christ wanted me to do or the people he wanted to use me to minister to. And she finishes by saying, I am so thankful he got my attention early in the day and I only cringe to think how many other days I have missed his will for my life and the blessing of serving others because I was too selfish or too busy. It's time for us, all of us, to lift our eyes off of our own tiny patch of dry dirt 
and have compassion for the multitudes. You see, because Jesus had a purpose, he had a passion, but thirdly, he has a plan. He has a plan. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest that you see is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus literally invites every single one of us into his plan. If his plan is for workers in the harvest, but the workers are few, then we can agree on a few things. Number one, he wants more workers in the harvest. That's his plan, after all. He wants us to send them. He wants us to support them, to give sacrificially so that they can go. Remember 2 Corinthians 8 that we read earlier? He wants us to beg earnestly for the privilege of supporting people. And if we first give ourselves to the Lord, then we will give generously. Even out of poverty, and I don't think many of us are in that situation, but the Macedonians gave out of their poverty. So if we truly want to work his plan, if every single one of us who are called to be a part of his plan want to work his plan, then we will pray, as we'll see a little bit more in a moment. We will give sacrificially and generously, and we'll send our best to go, or we'll go ourselves. We must all work together. This is a job for all disciples to cooperate together to be on board and address this plan. Jesus had a purpose. Jesus had a passion. And he had a plan. But fourthly, and I think most importantly, he reminds us of this, indis- this indispensable key to it all. He had a priority. If we're going to be able to deny ourselves and take our eyes off of our own patch of dry dirt, we're going to need his indwelling power by first falling to our knees. He had a priority. Therefore, it says in Matthew 9:38. Therefore, in light of that purpose, in light of that passion, in light of that plan, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. You see, going, doing stuff is not the point. It's not the focus. The, the priority, in a sense, is how are we connected? How are we wired to the Father? Is, is our wiring properly in place? Do we bypass the power source to do all this work? No. We stay connected. Think of an unplugged computer. It's got a lot of potential, but no power. So we must stay connected. To illustrate, I heard a story of a seminary missions class in which a man by the name of Herbert Jackson told how as a new missionary he was assigned a car that would not start without a push. Well, missionaries are very resourceful and come up with all kinds of plans. And like others, he pondered his problem and devised a plan. He went to the local school that was near his house, got permission from the headmaster to every morning have a few young people come out and push his car where he could pop the clutch and he'd be on his way. And throughout the day, he would park on a hill so that he could pop the clutch, or he would leave the car running, which I don't recommend where I served. Not very wise. Well, he used this ingenious plan for two years. Well, two years into his term, ill health forced the Jackson family to leave, and a new missionary came to the station to replace them. And so Jackson 
proudly explained this arrangement for getting the car started to the new missionary. The new man began looking under the hood. Before Jackson could finish his explanation, the new missionary interrupted and said, Why, Dr. Jackson, I believe the only trouble is a loose cable. He gave the cable a twist, stepped back into the car, turned the switch, and to Jackson's astonishment, the engine roared to life. For two years, needless trouble had become routine. You see, the power was there all the time. Only a loose connection kept him from putting that power to work. And so it is with us. You see, the power to embrace this purpose, the, the power to feel his passion, the power to enact this plan emerges from a priority relationship that precedes all else, even when you have a well a well-devised plan. Matthew 9, 35 to 38 reminds us to take our eyes off of our own tiny patch of dry dirt. You see, one, let's review. God has given us a purpose to turn our focus upon. He and his disciples were teaching and proclaiming the gospel. He has a passion, a fervent love for people who are without Christ. He saw the multitudes and he felt compassion for them. He has a plan that he wants to invite each one of us to join. We're all to be involved in praying, giving, and going. It's a part of this plan. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Fourthly, God identifies this priority place of prayer and relationship with him. And he welcomes us first into this vital relationship to beseech the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. So my question For all of us, are you focused on your own tiny patch of dry dirt? Or are you focused on his purpose? Are you loving people with his passion? Are you finding your place in his plan? You see, like the Macedonians, who first have given themselves to the Lord, are you guided, directed, and empowered by that priority relationship with him? I want to begin to wrap this up, and I want to return for a moment to 2 Corinthians 8. Um, you're going to be giving over the next couple of weeks to Lottie Moon. And as you, I'm sure, well know, 100% of those gifts go to support missionaries. And so I think I heard him say, you're taking up 162000 Is that what I heard? 162000 Yeah. No. <laughs> Ephesians 3.20. <laughs> beyond anything you expect or imagine. Just watch out. Let me read this passage. In light of this, the fact that we have His purpose, we have His passion, we have His plan, and we're guided by this priority, let's read 2 Corinthians 8, 1-5 one more time. Paul said to the Corinthians, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God 
to us. Uh, we at IMB uh, missionaries and staff received an email this week from our president, Dr. David Platt. And I read that email, and I'd like to share three very brief excerpts from that. And I think these are so helpful as we've looked at this this morning. The first one that I took out says this. Giving, that we're talking about, giving is a God-directed, God-centered, and God-exalting activity. When you have beheld this wondrous mystery, it is that kind of thing that just compels you to be generous. The second one, God's people give out of celebration not out of obligation. You see, we're not forced to give. It's not just a duty. We can't help ourselves. We do it out of celebration. And the third one, our giving is always attached to our heart. We don't just give money to give it. It is a gift from our heart. Let me close with this brief story. One of our missionaries named Joy Uh, works in Central Asia, she shared of an encounter that she had with a Muslim woman that I'm going to call Gail. Well, Gail met Joy and told her about a dream that she had had a few years ago in which the prophet Jesus was teaching on a hilltop to thousands of people. He was healing people and he gave them a book of truth. And as she watched, she said her heart was burdened deeply with a problem that only she knew about. Well, Jesus looked across the crowd and into her eyes in her dream. And he answered her problem. She says, he didn't speak to me out loud, but he spoke into my heart, filling me with peace. Later, she says in her dream, Jesus actually approached her as she was walking on the street. And he told her to follow him. Well, she followed him all the way where he stopped at a church. And he motioned for her to enter inside the church. At first she refused, she said, because I'm a Muslim. But Jesus was so compelling that she finally entered. Jesus told Gail to sit in the church and wait because someone would meet her there very soon. And then Jesus disappeared. Well, Gail says, I waited and I waited and I waited for hours, but nobody came. And finally she left. And that was the end of her dream. Well, when she finished telling Joy her dream, Joy said, Joy reports, I could barely contain my excitement. You see, God had prepared Gail to receive truth. She only needed someone to befriend her and explain the gospel. And several months later, Gail trusted in Jesus. But Joy says, I'm actually haunted by Gail's dream. She says, I wonder... How many seekers of God are ignored because people like Gail are waiting and waiting and no one comes? She asks, has our busyness, our feelings of inadequacy left people waiting? Has our reluctance to give sacrificially left people waiting? In His mercy, the Spirit prepares people's hearts, but He invites us into the plan. He invites us. He calls us. To share that message. He calls us to go. And he calls us to send. So. How many people without Christ. How many people who have not beheld this wondrous mystery. Are waiting for us. To say yes. 
to say yes to his purpose, yes to that passion for people, yes to his plan, and yes to that priority. Yes to take our eyes off of our own tiny patch of dry dirt. So I close, I want to challenge you to give yourself to the Lord first and then give generously as you give this season to Lottie Moon, this Christmas offering, so that we can go and that we can send. You know, back to 2 Corinthians 8. If you go down to verse 7, Paul says, see that you excel in this grace also, this generous giving Grace, And so my challenge is, this season, see that you excel in this grace also. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this season that we celebrate that your word is truth. You have given us your son. We celebrate his birth. And because of his birth, we have been saved we have experienced salvation we have beheld this wondrous mystery and i pray that you would put in our hearts to excel in this grace lord help us to do what you call us to do help us uh not to not to give in to the enemy who wants us to kill steal and destroy but to give in to you who wants to give us life and to give it abundantly May we experience this kind of grace in this season. Lord, I pray for each person here that they would experience that kind of life, that kind of abundant life. And Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, doesn't know why we celebrate, would you bring them to faith and use them mightily in your kingdom? Father, I thank you for these brothers and sisters. Thank you for their faithfulness thus far but Father may you uh, challenge them challenge each of us to give like never before and I pray this in Jesus name Amen I hope you've been blessed by this message Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity as someone once said Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. 
We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.